your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome inside the Locked On Senators podcast presented by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. I'm Ross Levitan alongside Brandon Pillar today. And after discussing briefly that Rudy Balsers did not get loaned to the KHL, the Senators have loaned another prospect overseas. We'll tell you who and what to expect from him. We'll get into Colorado extending their series against Dallas and part two of our interview with Elite Prospects editor-in-chief of their draft guide, J.D. Burke. We talk about Marco Rossi being slept on, talk about draft ranking factors that fans may undervalue and overlook, and whether the Sens should draft two forwards or a defenseman and a forward with those first two picks. All that and more. This is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Today is Thursday, September 3rd, and abracadabra, Pilsy, the Senators have loaned Vitaly Abramov overseas to La Liga. Initial reaction. I like it. Uh, Vitaly Abramov, he's a really intriguing prospect for the Sens because he's not quite on the tier of your Drake Batherson, Josh Norris, even Logan Brown is kind of in that upper tier or should be. He's more in the second tier with your Formantins, Abramov, Schlappix, and stuff like that. But with the right opportunity, I think he can break through. Like, he's a real streaky guy. Like, when he gets going, he is so hot. He had some injury troubles last year that kind of hindered him. But I think in, a, in the Finnish league, if he's put on a top line and can play some top power play units, he's going to light it up. He is assigned to Mikulin Jukurit, which will not be confused with Jokerit, which is now in the KHL, although the team is based out of Finland. And Abramov obviously coming up in the Russian system before moving to Gatineau. Um, It would be an easy misconception there. But he did have a good season last year. 22 goals, 48 points in 69 games in the AHL for Belleville. Had the one NHL goal in three games over the past two seasons uh, during two separate call-ups with Ottawa. Now, the Liga is set to begin in the middle to start of October. And the Senators are able to pull him back whenever. So once NHL training camp starts, there's no uh, doubt that Vitaly Abramov will be in attendance for that. How exciting is it going to see? And we saw him play in Belleville quite a bit last season, Pilsy. But watching him on the big ice, like it seems like a match made in heaven. Absolutely. Yeah, like Vitaly Abramov, when he's got that space, his hands are just so smooth and he's so creative with the puck that... With some extra time and space, I think he's going to do some pretty sweet stuff. And I wouldn't be surprised, Ross, if we see some filthy highlights from Sens Prospect. Maybe a couple gifts from uh, overseas that Sens Prospects always hooks us up with. Yeah, I mentioned Abracadabra off the top. And this is what I'm about to say. It's a nickname that has to be earned. But 
Could we see the magician as a nickname for him in the future? I mean, the way he handles the puck, the way he gets in low, and he does have a gritty side too. This guy is going to go hard to the net, poke at loose pucks, and I love what he brings, and I'm really excited that he's going to get more experience, and I'm hopeful that there's going to be a few more. Now, training camps are all starting uh, within the next like week or two all across Europe. Philip Schlappick, another guy who we could maybe see to the Czech League or wherever he ends up going. Jonathan Davidson had a up-and-down season with, with injuries and concussions last year. It'd be nice if he was able to get some confidence playing again. We mentioned Eric Brandstrom. If he were to be assigned, there's still some uh, dominoes up in the air, but by all accounts, it seems like uh, Dynamo Riga and Rudolph Balsers are not a match made. Do you have any idea why the Sens would be hesitant to send Balsers to the KHL? The only thing I can think of, uh, Ross, is Balsers is, is a restricted free agent this season. So when you're looking at a restricted free agent, you don't really want to move the needle too much either way. Like You don't want him going over to the KHL and getting injured because then what's that contract going to look like? How serious is the injury? When's he going to play next? Where's he going to play, et cetera. But also, if you, and if you're the Senators, you know they love cost saving. You don't want him to go over to Europe and absolutely light it up. And then he comes back saying, look, I've been lighting it up. I think I deserve more. So I think just being a restricted free agent is kind of making the Sens hesitant on sending him over. And that's why we're seeing uh, Bramov, who still has another year left on his deal, uh, go over instead. Yeah, there's going to be lots of intrigue surrounding the next couple of weeks. I know this is a very pro Get Branch from Playing podcast. So if we could get him as the next Sens player, and um, I think that would be very beneficial for his development. But once you develop, then you start being able to play in the postseason a little bit longer, Pilsy. And man, we saw some elite players last night. Nathan McKinnon with that separation of John Klingberg. And then, oh man, that saucer may have turned into a UFO if it went any higher. And it dropped right on the stick of Ranton. And he finishes it off for Colorado. And I got a stat for you, Pilsy. Stat time alert. Michael Hutchinson has as many wins this postseason as the entire Toronto Maple Leafs team. Your reaction? That, that is that is hilarious to think of. Who who would have thought that coming Wait, in? Actually, he has two more because does the qualifier really count? Yeah, yeah, true. It depends if you're splitting hairs here. But Hutchinson, he played pretty good. Other than that goal, which he should have had, it kind of went right through his glove. I'm not convinced if that uh, was a deflection or not, but he should have had that one. But other than that, he played really well. Yeah, he did, and he had that 10-bell save where he pushed off a recovery after the uh, initial shot was blocked, and it deflected right onto the tape. I don't remember which Dallas star was there. It was, and it was just Yeah, it was just a tap-in, and Faxa being a left-hand shot. Hutchinson's flipped. He's one of those backwards goalies, so he was trying to push to his glove side. Huge recovery save, great pad kicking out, and obviously I bet the over, so joke's on me at the end of the day. So we're at least going to have... Three game sixes, which is awesome. Two of them go tonight. Vancouver, Vegas, New York Islanders, Philadelphia Flyers. Which of those series do you expect to end tonight, if any? I think Vegas might close it out, Ross. Um, We talked about it before. You asked me which of the teams down 3-1 I think can come back. And I said, Philly, I'm sticking with that. I'm sticking with my gut. I'm sure 
quite sure the Islanders will upset me and prove me wrong for the 1,000th time, but you got to stick with your gut, so I'm saying Philly. And when you're drafting, especially in the National Hockey League, or you're making draft guides or draft lists, you have to stick to your gut as well. That's why we get into some of the reasons what scouts may value that fans don't look at and what fans overvalue when they're looking at prospects. We get into that and a whole lot more in part two of our interview with J.D. Burke from Elite Prospects. And if you haven't heard part one, that was on yesterday's show, but this one... It's all focused along with Marco Rossi. He had huge praise for Marco Rossi. Let's get you into J.D. Burke, part two of our interview. But before we do that, we got to tell you about Rock Auto. Rock Auto, it's all online too. So it's so easy. It's a family business. They serve auto parts to customers, and they've been doing it for 20 years. You go to rockauto.com, and you can shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything. From engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily drive, get everything you need in just a few easy clicks. Best part, it's delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the best for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Couldn't happen to us, shouldn't happen to you. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right? Locked on. In their how-did-you-hear-about-us box? That way, they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need that's rockauto.com here he is jd burke hilsey i want to get to you through um, i know you have a question on a particular player within that tier but on sanderson i mean five i think a lot of sense fans would like to see two forwards especially with the more depth in their prospect pool on the back end but if you look at sanderson how many boxes does he check that we've seen the sends go lean towards before his dad being an nhl or you can go through the sends lineup there's like six guys who are our sons of NHL players. He's going to UND. We've seen that be a trend in Sens prospects as well. So I think a lot of Sens fans are bracing for, for Jake Sanderson at five and whether it's the right move or not. Pilsy, I know you're on the board of, of two forwards, aren't you? Yeah, that's my mindset. And JD, I wanted to get your opinion on this. Basically, kind of what uh, Ross was talking about there. We on the Locked On Centers podcast, in our minds, the best case scenario for picks three and five would probably be Quinton Byfield to... Um, get that coveted number one centerman for the Senators, and then someone to play on that top line that can put the puck in the net like Lucas Raymond. Now, you just had high, high praise for Sanderson. Do you think that's the strategy the Senators should go with, getting two forwards, or is the top-end talent of Sanderson and Drysdale too much to uh, let past if you're the Senators? You know what? I, I think, and I know this is a really boring answer, I, I think Quinton Byfield, if he's available to them, they, they got to sprint to the podium. That's the pick. You know, you look at where the, the strengths and weaknesses of this pipeline lie. You look at the strengths and weaknesses of their NHL roster. They need a Quinton Byfield type player like Quinton Byfield. Uh, don't overthink it. That's That's the one to go to. I think it gets interesting with the second of their two picks. And you know, this is where I get really boring. I just, you could make an argument to me for anybody in that spot. Marco Rossi, if he's available, wouldn't that be interesting? I mean, if he's a center, 
you just introduced two very high ceiling centers to your system. Worst case scenario, Marco Rossi becomes a Mitch Marner type winger. Like that doesn't seem so bad to me, uh, you know, and, and I, I really sometimes I wonder, like, what did Marco Rossi not do that Mitch Marner did? And, and I look at their point production and I go, OK, well, this looks like Marco's got a bit of an edge. You know, he's, he's an early birthday. Sure. But like that's I think he might be getting slept on a little bit um, regarding the, the community at large. Right. So you get Quinton Byfield, an obvious center. He might take a bit longer to develop. Marco Rossi, I mean, we, we've said this in our meetings, like he might actually be able to play NHL hockey next year. He's got the offensive talent. His offensive instincts are through the roof. Like, I think that would be a really compelling pick. Certainly. Uh, you know, I, I think Jamie Drysdale too. I mean, if you leave the draft having secured the two premium position players, I think you can leave feeling pretty good about yourself, right? So they can go any number of different directions. And as long as they're not, uh, you know, going way, way out there, right? Like my, my rule of thumb is if you're cheering for a team at the NHL draft, like they have so much information that we do not. And, and I think like there has to be a level of humility there almost to a certain degree, but like if it's a reasonable pick, my rule of thumb is that it shouldn't warrant a complaint. Like when they're approaching five and it's like, Ooh, I really want them to take Sanderson here, but instead they take Drysdale. Like I'm sure they got their reasons. You know what I mean? And, and I'm sure they know something I don't. And it's funny because that appeal to authority is not something that usually flies for me, especially as it relates to NHL analysis, but traveling to ranks, talking to these scouts, it's like, oh yeah, I guess I really only know about three quarters of what they know at the best of times. Do you know what I mean? In terms of the interview process and the testing that they do. So uh, just hope it's something reasonable. You're talking uh, to two guys who had uh, high hopes for Zadina in 2018 instead of Brady Kachuk. So we can both bite our tongue on that one. And I'm not going to get fired up over 67 because I wanted Konechny in 2015. They go with Colin White and we've seen kind of a discrepancy in those two's play uh, as well. Speaking of current Ottawa Senators, we want to ask you about uh, a really awesome article. And if you haven't read it, it was a film room study that you did on Eric Branstrom. But before we get to that, one last question on this draft. And with the Islanders' success, that first rounder that they have now from, from New York uh, is likely to be 28. So that would give Ottawa 28 to 31, depending on how the Islanders finish out the season, and then their own pick to start the second round, second pick in the second round. Who are a couple of guys that you would target in that range? Ooh, that's that's interesting because it's it's hard to tell. Like I, I feel as if the discrepancy between the public and and the private sphere, so teams versus public scouting outlets, is pretty pretty significant in this year's draft. Like you know, uh, Ridley Gregg, he's in in our 80s, I think, like 83rd if memory serves. He's probably going to go first round or early second, right? And what sort of wrench does that throw into everything, right? So I'm looking at my board right now and I'm going, I have no clue who's going to be available at that point, right? But uh, here's one for you, Maverick Bork. Uh, the team sphere has very little time for him, it seems. It's it's actually really interesting because you talk to his GM in Schwinnigan, you talk to his coach at the Holinka, and and they just rave about the kid. And then I'll talk to a scout who's like, oh, no time for him whatsoever. Uh, and that seemed to be like the the theme that carried across this year. So maybe he's somebody who's available far later than he should be. Like I, I'm looking at our grouping from about 12 to to say 17, and it's like, oh yeah, there's going to be at least one guy from that tier that 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 kind of slips, right? So if it's a Maverick Bork, if it's a Brendan Brisson, I think Mercer will probably go in the the early to late teens. 
But if it's a Bork or a Brisson, like, phew, there, there's your pick right there. Uh, likewise, I could see a scenario where Caden Gooley might, doubtful, but he might still be available. That's someone I've got a ton of time for. Uh, you'd also bring a, a dynamic that isn't really there right now, I don't think, within that uh, Senators blue line in terms of the prospects they have and in terms of who's already up there. Like, I think Caden Gooley would be a really nice compliment to the players that are already within the system. Uh, you know, or, hey, you know what? You got three first-round picks. Why not swing for the fences? Uh, Jeremy Poirier. 26 overall on our board like wouldn't that be a, a fun pick like if you've got all this ammunition then then why not swing for dingers like that's that's the way it should be right so uh, I, I think that they're gonna have a lot of good options basically in that spot no matter what I like that mentality for that last pick like why why not take a big swing you're gonna get two solid guys with picks three and five why not take a big swing? And if you miss that one, then you got to pick right around the corner to start the second round anyway. So that's okay. Now, JD, I wanted to ask you kind of more a general question about the draft. When you're evaluating young hockey prospects, there's just so many different factors to take into account. And if people listening don't believe me, go ahead and read the draft guide. They put a lot of different factors into account. So can you tell us what's a factor that you feel fans may overvalue and then on the opposite side, what's a factor in prospects that maybe you think fans overlook? Well, I, I think the one that that is often overvalued, like this one's too easy almost, I feel like, but size is a big one. Um, you know, like Tyler Clevin's probably going to go in the first round, and I wish all the luck into the world to whichever team makes that decision because they're going to need it. Um, you know, Shakir Mukamadulin, same thing. He'll be a top 60 pick and uh, tip of the cap, best of luck, whoever takes on that project, right? And and it's just, no matter how progressive the NHL gets, it just seems like they can't quit that one drug. Um, you know, they can't they can't stop going back to the well there. So, you know, that's that's the obvious one for me. I think skating sometimes too, you know, it's it's... I know a few scouts who live by the rule that, you know, skating and size are the two things that are just so heinously overvalued. And I, I've got time for that. I think the one thing that, that people tend to overlook the most is probably offensive instincts. And what I mean by that is problem solving skills, uh, finding pockets of space, timing, uh, you know, like these are really important elements. This is what separates the people from from being an elite junior player to somebody who can be an NHLer. And, and those are things that I think go really unnoticed. And I think, you know, for me, I've been evangelizing his case all year, but like Brendan Brisson is the perfect example of that. Like his subtle skills, his offensive instincts to me, I just are through the roof. And you talk about what determines a player's ceiling. Well, it's, it's how they see the game. It's their hockey sense. Like whatever your recipe for hockey sense is, that's the one that determines a player's ceiling. And I talk about a player who consistently uh, just he, he was playing three-dimensional chess in the USHL and people were playing go fish you know it's it was pretty impressive to see and you know you kind of feel like Mugatu and Zoolander like am I taking crazy pills here like how does nobody else notice this you know so I think the the really offensive details are really hard for some people to suss out and I think that somebody like you know what Maverick Bork too like if David St. Louis was on one of our scouts elite prospects he'd be uh, everything I said about Brisson he'd be saying about Bork you know, and, and look at where Bork goes on most public outlets. Like he's in the twenties, if not the thirties. So like, I think those refined offensive details are the hardest to suss out and the hardest to rate uh, properly because so often it's about what they do without the puck. Uh, so often it's about how they set up the things that they do with the puck. And, and it's hard to, to pick those things out if you're not really looking for it. So I'd say that those are the elements that for us anyway, 
uh, we value perhaps more than most outlets do. Well, those elements and a whole lot more are all in the Elite <clears throat> Prospects NHL Draft Guide. Get the Elite Prospects Premium account. I'm telling you, $9.99 a month. This is as affordable as it gets, and there's so much great information there. And you get EP Ringside, JD. So before we let you go, I have to ask you about that Brandstrom article. Pilsy and I both actually work for the Belleville Senators on their production team. So uh, we were at a lot of his games last year after the trade, and then while he was in the AHL this year. We've, we see an elite AHL player, but those who only follow the Ottawa Senators have seen a player who might be a little bit smaller on the back end and as a 20-year-old, still getting pushed around on the forecheck. How would you see him grow into his body, and do you see a high ceiling on Eric Brandstrom? Yeah, I, I see a high ceiling on Brandstrom. I think where I, you know, I guess is deviate from the, the standard valuation is, like, I, I don't think that ceiling was ever as high as some made it out to be. You know, when you hear people making Eric Carlson comparisons, when you see people making comparisons to Quinn Hughes, uh, you know, that was just like, okay, let's, let's, let's pump the brakes a bit. I like Branstrom as much as the next guy, but that is a bit rich for my tastes. I, I think he can be a solid number three, probably number two or three. And you know what, like if you can get a transitional two or three that can quarterback a power play, that's, that's just huge, especially cost controlled. He's going to age at the the same time that this core kind of moves into contention. Like, I, I think he's going to be really valuable for this franchise. I just, I don't know if he was ever going to live up to that billing. Too bad, because Mark Stone was such a fan favorite, and we're seeing him now, like, probably a Conn Smythe favorite, too. So, it's almost yeah. like that's the one that got away. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. I mean, like... I, it's, it's kind of funny. I was thinking about this a few weeks ago. It's like, did the Montreal Canadiens get a better return for Pacioretty than the Senators did for Mark Stone? And yep. you know what? Like defensemen, not not to go all 200 hockey men, they can take a little bit longer to develop. I think this story is still being written. Uh, you know, but maybe, maybe they did. And uh, wouldn't that be interesting? You know, I mean... Well, I guess they did by default if you also throw in Tatar in the pick. So yeah, I don't think Lindbergh didn't do too much <laughs> as the throw in in Ottawa's case. No, no. So, you know, I mean, that's that's unfortunate, but I don't think anybody critiqued the trade at the time, right? I mean, like, because the, the hype train had left the station for Brandstrom at that point, I, I think you could make a case, I suppose, um, that that was fair value. And and you know what? I, I just preach patience. It's going to take a little bit, but he's he's going to be worth the payoff, uh, even if he's not a Mark Stone caliber player. I mean, there are a few in the NHL who are. Yeah, and he's uh, he's a competitive kid, so we know that he's going to be given everything he can to to reach his potential. I see almost a little bit of Tobias Enstrom in him, like a two-way guy. He's not going to wow you all the time, but is a solid NHL player. So there's that, and uh, there's going to be a lot more prospects joining him at rookie camp whenever that may be. The Sens have 13 picks, including nine in the first three rounds of the NHL draft. Lots of hypotheticals, lots of great insight from you, JD. We'd love to have you back on after the draft if you'd be up for it, and that way we can talk more in certainties than hypotheticals. But thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, no worries. I'd, I'd be happy to uh, to join the show after the draft. I remember last year... Uh, I talked to Colin Cudmore of the, the Sens sphere um, a bunch and just him relaying to me how, how catatonic most Sens fans were when the team picked Shane Pinto and just me being like, oh, whoa, 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 what's going on here? This is a hell of a prospect. 
so I'm going to step up this year and I'm going to make sure that people don't lose it over a totally good pick this time again. And I, I think Shane Pinto has really paid off too. So yeah, we, we would agree. Uh, Shane, the bean Pinto, he kind of changed everyone's minds pretty quickly with that world juniors and uh, getting that first goal off the top. So definitely going to have to at least take a step back and not hit the panic button so quickly this year for Sens fans. But JD can't thank you enough for all the insight and for everyone who hasn't given the draft guide a look yet you absolutely have to the information and the the insight and stats on all these players is just phenomenal so looking forward to having you back after the draft jd and thanks a lot for doing this big thanks to jd burke for joining us for an extended time on the uh, on the podcast really appreciate his time and all the time that he put into the draft guide is worth it so make sure you go get the elite prospects draft guide and you'll be ready for october Ninth, which is 36 days away. Pilsy, before we go, we got some trade to announce. We had the Capitan one about a week and a half ago, and this one has you in complete mental pretzel. Yeah, the the Jake Allen trade is really, really interesting. First so of before, all... Before you get to it, we'll tell you the trade. The trade was a third-round pick and a seventh-round pick going to St. Louis for Jake Allen and a seventh. It turns out the third rounder that went in that trade as well was the one that Montreal acquired for Ilya Kovalchuk. So for 12 games of Ilya Kovalchuk not being on the the Habs roster, they got Jake Allen. Bergman's done a really good job of that, eh? Find, that's found money in Kovalchuk and Scandella. Remember that? Uh, they snuck them away from Buffalo, then got a uh, nice return on him at the deadline. So Bergman, really good at uh, growing the value of those small, short investments. But here's the thing, Ross. How many successful teams do you know, or even how many teams ever do you know, are spending $15 million in goaltending? Go ahead. I, I don't think I know one. Like... <laughs> you want to get close. And here's the thing. I think it it makes sense. Like, look look at what's the problem the Montreal Canadiens have every year. They burn out Carey Price playing him 70 games a year because they can't find a suitable backup. And when they think they've got a backup, he ends up falling apart when they need him most. And you can't have that. So he went out and got one of the best backups in the league. Arguably, I wouldn't even call Jake Allen a backup. I would call him a 1B style goalie. Because really, he should be in a tandem with a 1A style goalie, not an elite starter like Carey Price. But they had to address that issue because it's been the same problem over and over. But when you're spending $15 million in two players on one position, that's really going to shake up the rest of your roster. So it's going to be interesting to see what Montreal does there. But on the flip side, what are the St. Louis Blues doing? We saw Jordan Bennington fall apart in these playoffs and they clearly didn't fully trust him as they went back to Jake Allen and that didn't work at all. So they just, they found lightning in a bottle in Bennington. He took them to the cup last year. Then it doesn't work, but you know, at least they have Allen as the insurance guy. Then they sell their insurance for next to nothing, a third round pick. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the Blues solve that problem. But there is a lot of goalies in the free agent market and with the salary cap being flat, the deals won't be as high and crazy as we're used to seeing on, well, it won't be July 1st, but as we're used to seeing on those big July 1st contract handouts. Well, the Blues do have kind of a goalie in the future waiting in the wings and Vili Husso as well. He had uh, two kind of meh 
performances in the AHL these past two seasons, but his first two years in the AHL, he had a 922 and a 920 save percentage. So he kind of bounced back after a terrible 2018-19. This year, he was back up to like a 909 save percentage in 42 games. So I think they might have him penciled in as a backup, but ultimately what this helps St. Louis is to add more to their cap to try and get their captain re-signed. This is all about Alex Petrangelo. And if what breaks Leaf fans' hearts, making sure that Petrangelo cannot and will not go to Toronto, is Montreal helping out St. Louis, then it's just a happy family, and I'll I'll be fine with it. I honestly think Petro should stay in St. Louis. Like, you know, it's just a weird taste in your mouth. You win a cup, just like Barry Trotz did. I know it's one year removed now for Petro, but it's just a weird feeling like you you make it to the the top of the mountain with a team that you'd been with for a while and then all of a sudden you just you just leave it's just a strange thing so i hope they can find a way to sign petro and if this helps them do it good for them and i was trying to rack my brain you mentioned of which goalies have the highest paid duo in the league and it's, i think it's probably boston and they needed it because halak i think is making two million as a backup and then Tuka Rask is at seven. So the two of them are combined for nine. So that's probably Gary right Price up there. Gary Price makes more than them. Yeah, it's true. But, I mean, even still, that's Tuka Rask, the fourth highest paid goalie in the league. It, only Henrik Lundqvist and Sergei Bobrovsky are in between the two of them. What about so Vasilevsky? Vasilevsky's contract kicks in next season. Mm, uh, but he right. will be he will be uh, third on that list because his new extension's for 9.1 or something. Uh, it's def- it's in the nines, yeah, definitely. Uh, but McElhaney, another sends abroad, uh, is is uh, also on a league minimum. So, um, yeah, you don't want to pay your tandem that much, but Galaxy Brain could carry Price be the Seattle Kraken first ever goalie. We saw a veteran presence work out well for for Vegas. I don't think so, Ross. Uh, and we talked about this. I, if you're an expansion team. The one thing you cannot do, the biggest mistake in my mind, is pick up big contracts on older players. And this is arguably the biggest contract on the oldest player that's uh, that's out there. So I think it would be a massive, massive mistake if the Kraken decided to go that way. And that sounds terrible being like, why wouldn't you try to get an amazing goalie to start? But with expansion teams, you don't know what way things are going to go the Vegas Golden Knights are the exception to the rule like they they jumped out of the water they did their expansion draft so well kudos to that team for finding those diamonds in the rough but I don't think the Kraken are going to bite on that Carey Price contract I can't wait till till the final buzzer goes the Stanley Cups award and we can really get into trade talk when every team is going to be able to pull the trigger on trades Uh, so tomorrow we'll be recapping maybe some handshakes maybe not And then next week, we've already recorded it. We've got a solid interview I think you guys are really going to like. Pilsy, should we drop the name since it's recorded? I know we don't like to tease it when it's not done, but since this one's in the bank, I think we might be able to. Next week's guest is a big one, guys, and I'm going to go for it here. It's Stuntman Stu! Former Sense PA announcer, overall Ottawa legend, and Pilsy teased it there. We get him to do a Bobby Ryan goal call. Stay tuned for all that. But first, tomorrow, we'll be back for Brandon Pillar. I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day.